postpartum body odor. It is a totally natural phenomenon because your body chemistry changes after giving birth. And so sometimes that means that what worked before is no longer effective. But I am excited to say that now there is a solution for that stubborn odor. The Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant is a completely natural deodorant made by a postpartum mom who went through it herself. And it works by eliminating and preventing bacterial body odor without covering up your skin's comforting smell to your baby while giving you 12 hours of odor control. And let me tell you, it actually works. Here at the house, we've all been trying it and loving it. Now, before you think, ew, you're sharing a deodorant with your husband and daughter, let me explain that this full-body deodorant comes in a convenient pump applicator that lets you apply it anywhere on your body with no bacteria traveling on the deodorant, so no ew involved. We also love that the Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant has a delightful natural scent of USDA certified organic extracts that smell like a pink sugar cookie with lemon frosting. I thought this would be a little strange, but it's actually amazing. Also, the Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant is free from artificial fragrances and any kind of senoestrogens or herbs that can interfere with breastfeeding. Find your Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant at postpartumdeodorant.com. That's postpartumdeodorant.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off through the month of May. Get your Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant now at postpartumdeodorant.com and start smelling more like yourself again. I love Jenny Kane. At this very moment, I'm feeling so comfy and cozy as I'm practically getting a hug from my Jenny Kane crop cashmere cocoon cardigan. I am enjoying this sweater so much that I've been living in it all spring long. And with Mother's Day just around the corner, this is a feeling you can gift all the well-deserving moms, moms-to-be, and mother figures in your life by giving them the gift of Jenny Kane. Along with bringing you this episode, Jenny Kane is a California brand through and through, and their staples make getting dressed so super easy. Think minimalist and effortless, but totally refined. Jenny Kane means luxurious cashmere sweaters, iconic accessories, elevated versions of your everyday basics, plus the most incredible home essentials. For a limited time, Birthful listeners get 15% off their first order. Go to JennyKane.com and use the code BIRTHFUL15 to get 15% off and support the show. Jenny Kane is known for their quintessential sweaters, with their cotton collection providing you with the perfect everyday pieces as the days get warmer. But they also have gorgeous sundresses in a variety of silhouettes for any occasion and spectacular sandals to go along with them. Find the perfect Mother's Day gift or curate your new spring go-tos at JennyKane.com. Birthful listeners get 15% off your first order when you use the code BIRTHFUL15 at checkout. That's 15% off your first order at J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E dot com, promo code BIRTHFUL15. Get yourself and the mothers in your life the gift of Jenny Kane. 
Hello, hello, mighty one. And so here we are. Today is the last day of our summer break where we've been sharing with you all kinds of amazing birth stories from our birthful archives. And so next week, we're going to be back with our topical series. But as you know, it's not like we do away with stories altogether. No, no, no. But we do alternate between stories and topical interviews with then one of my short solo episodes thrown in here and there. And so we're back to that rhythm again starting next week. For this last story of our summer break, we've got a water birth with a strong ejection reflex story courtesy of Michelle Onaka. And Michelle Onaka's story really starts with a connection to self through her fertility journey. And in the intro, you'll hear that when we originally published it, it coincided with National Infertility Awareness Week in the U.S., This is not the case at the moment, since National Infertility Awareness Week happens every year at the end of April, and for 2024, which is the next time it'll happen, it's going to be between April 21st and April 27, in case you wanted to know. Currently, Michelle lives in Oregon with her partner, her two children, and her dog, and social justice and evidence-based everything are big parts of her life. Professionally, Michelle supports educators in reaching their financial goals, including investing to make work optional. And if you'd like, you can learn more on her website, intentionalmoneylife.com. Okay, here's the episode. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the Birthful Podcast. I'm Adriana Lozada, and in today's Birthful Story, I'll be talking with Michelle Onaka about the many twists and turns of her path towards becoming a mom, including her fertility journey, then them completely gutting their house during pregnancy, and following that up with a fabulous water birth. After all those obstacles, she'd figured life with a newborn would be par for the course. However, that was not quite so. Stay tuned to find out more. The Birthful Podcast. Talking to new parents to inform your intuition. Hello, mighty parents and parents to be. Today's story appropriately coincides with National Infertility Awareness Week in the U.S. Uh, Michelle's process towards becoming a mom started with an intense focus on fertility. And then once pregnant, things went by fairly smoothly until after the baby was born, when taking care of a newborn was more challenging than she expected. (laughs) And yeah, a little bit of a surprise. So this is sort of a fertility, pregnancy, birth and postpartum story all rolled up into one. Michelle, welcome. It is great to have you here on the show today. Thank you. Yeah, so happy to that you did because I feel like we've connected over email quite a bit and back and forth. So I feel like it's been a long time coming to have you on the show. Um, how old is your baby now? She's four months old. Wow, very cool. And so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself first? Um, yeah, so I am... Um, I work in higher education. I live in Oregon with my husband and our dog and now my baby. Um, yeah, we, my husband and I met um, in 2009 when we were working seasonally in Alaska. And we did a lot of traveling before we came to Oregon where I uh, did my master's degree. And we kind of settled down here and decided to buy a house and have a baby. 
It's kind of mm. weird. Especially when you travel a lot. I find that when you yes. have a baby, it's it's harder to travel. So you kind of like start thinking about other, other things like daycare and, you know, having a house. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we're putting off the travel until um, our baby is old enough to remember. So it'll be a while before we get to do much extensive international travel again, but it'll be cool when we get to. For sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And show her the world. It's exciting. Yeah. So, um, you know, before we get to even to the point of like when you were pregnant and, and what you were doing to prepare for labor and birth, you wanted to make sure I, I asked you about your fertility journey. So, yeah, tell me about that. Um, yeah, so I wanted to talk a little bit about um, Taking Charge of Your Fertility, the book, or kind of discovering fertility awareness method. Um, and that's because I feel like growing up, we never really learned very much about women's cycles. I actually asked a friend the other day um, how long her cycle is, and she thought I meant how long her period is right? Because that's what we talk about. We talk about periods. We don't talk about fertility and cycles and what they mean. So um, I, I was talking to a pregnant woman in a water aerobics class, and she told me how she had been using natural family planning to not get pregnant before. And then she got pregnant right away. And this was, you know, I was getting close to start thinking about getting pregnant. And so I started looking into that and realized that Fertility awareness method is a way to not get pregnant or to get pregnant. You know, you can learn all about your body. So I dove into that. I read Taking Charge of Your Fertility and I learned um, all the things. I started tracking my cervical fluid and my temperature. And there's so much cool stuff that you can learn by doing that. So uh, I ended up using fertility awareness method to not get pregnant for a year. And then once I was ready, uh, I actually got pregnant the very first month, which was very surprising to me. I didn't think that that would happen. Um, but yeah. 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 So yeah. awesome. And I am a big fan of connecting with your body that way and figuring out. So I'm in the show notes, I'll put links to an episode I did with the uh, about, you know, what is it? The fourth vital sign, which is your cycle as the fourth vital sign of health, because if your cycle is healthy, you are healthy. Mm -hmm. And if it's off, something's off in you. So it's really like getting to know yourself and your mood changes according to what your hormones are doing. We know this, but yeah. take it one step further. And can you plan kind of your life knowing that, you know, in two weeks, I'm just going to hate everybody. So I'm not going <laughs> to plan any podcasts that recordings that week. Right. <laughs> For example, I think and I think about, you know, because I was on birth control for a long time or I had an IUD for a long time. And for a while there, I was always, oh, no, my period hasn't come yet. I'm maybe maybe I'm going to be pregnant on accident or something like that. And I feel like if I had just had the awareness of my body, I would have been like, oh, no, it's because I ovulated a little later this month. That's all right. <laughs> like that would have been so much better, even if I wasn't using it as a method of not getting pregnant, just to have that awareness of what was going on would have been really helpful for me my whole life, I feel like. Absolutely. No, I completely agree. And and the fact is every part of our body changes. Like in the fertility awareness, did you ever do um did you ever do saliva slides? I didn't. I I read about it, but I didn't do them. So That's everybody so listening cool is that it like, happens. Yeah. What are they <laughs> saliva slides? What did she just say? So uh, can you explain it? Do you want to explain it? Or you want me to explain it? I don't know that much about it. All I know is that 
something about the hormones, right? Is that you could, if you put your saliva on a slide, it'll form, is it crystals or? Yeah, it does what? like this ferning pattern, sort yes, of like um, frost on the window, that kind of thing. Like it has a very beautiful shape. And when you're not uh, a fertile, it doesn't do that. So you can play, just like, you know, all, all it, your cervical mucus changes. Well, mm-hmm. your saliva changes, like everything in your body changes. And your temperature, like that's, that's just mind boggling that you can know these things without, I don't know. It's so cool right. to me. Taking your temperature and yeah. knowing exactly when things are happening. Yeah, it is so cool. Yeah. So it, it, it seems a bit complicated at the beginning, but it's just a matter of tuning in. And then once you do, you're just like, oh, confirming. Yep. I know. And right. and you can plan around stuff. So anyway, I'm so happy you did that and you had that connection with your body and that it worked to get you pregnant right away. Yeah. Yeah. That was very lucky. Mm. So you're pregnant. Uh-huh. Now it's the next step, preparing for having a baby. What, uh, what were your wishes, your thoughts about labor at the time and how did you want this experience to go? Yeah. Um, so I am an over-preparer and an over-planner. So I had been thinking about all of these things for years and years and years. So I had, you know, of course, watched The Business of Being Born a long time ago. And then probably maybe two or three years before I was even ready to have a baby, I had started, you know, listening to podcasts and started reading books and things like that. So I had read um, Get Me Out, which is a really cool book that kind of goes through I think it goes through kind of the history of how babies are born, but also kind of gynecology and midwifery and all sorts of things. Um, So I felt like I went in knowing kind of a lot and I had already gone to, there's a local birth center that had just opened within um, less than a year before I got pregnant. Um, And I had already gone in to meet with them once. So I knew that I was planning on if, if I had a low risk pregnancy, um, giving birth with midwives at a birth center in, in my town. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of these things were before you got, got pregnant, it sounds like. Yeah, yes. <laughs> so, yeah, so you had a, a wealth of knowledge, which I love that you were so prepared. So once you were actually pregnant, did what did you add to that? Or did you change anything? Like, what did you do nutrition-wise and exercise and any classes that you took? Um, so while I was pregnant, um, nutrition wise, well, at the beginning, I didn't want to eat vegetables for a long time, as many women do. Um, so that was a struggle. I, I've always tried to focus a lot on protein because I think it can be really hard to get enough protein. Um, but otherwise I don't think I did a whole lot nutrition wise, um, exercise wise. I, um, I bike commute to my job. Um, And I continued, I actually bike commuted uh, two days before my daughter was born. So I was getting that exercise kind of without having to try. And Mm -hmm. I was also in um, a water aerobics class and um, walked my dog regularly. Um, So that's what I did for exercise. Um, I, yeah, I continued to see the midwives and trying to think of what else. So um, did you do any body work? I didn't. <laughs> Which is fine. I'm just curious. Yeah. <laughs> I um yeah, no, I I didn't really. Um I did have um some um 
what's it called? Sciatic nerve pain. And so I did end up going to a physical therapist for a little bit. And I did end up going to a chiropractor once or twice for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and was that helpful? Um, I honestly don't know if either of them helped or not. My sciatic nerve pain ended up being like it would get really painful. Like it would bother me for a few days and it would get really painful. And then it would just kind of go away and it didn't really seem to matter what I did necessarily. I also probably didn't do a great job of keeping up with um, the exercises that the physical therapist told me to do. Um, I guess now's a good time to mention too, um, while I was pregnant, we did some extensive uh, renovations on my house. Um, So uh, like we tore out drywall in probably three, four, four big rooms in our house and replaced it. And we moved a bathroom completely and we did all sorts of things. And the vast majority of it was stuff that my husband and I did. And so I was very busy and I was kind of doing challenging things, you know, spending a lot of time painting and stuff like that. So sometimes I was just going to be in pain and sometimes I just didn't have the time to do things that I intended to do. Yeah. And if anybody looks at the show notes, they can see your, (laughs) you had, you know, like those pictures as the pregnancy progresses, people post pictures of their belly. It's like one month, two months, three or however many weeks, two weeks, three weeks. And you have them next to the wall and how the renovation is progressing. So the wall like comes down and goes back up. Yes. your belly gets bigger. Yeah. Yeah, that was our bedroom. So our bedroom had, so our bedroom and then the laundry room, um, closet and bathroom were all off of that. And we redid a bunch of stuff in that section. So yeah, I think we tore down, I think we moved out of our bedroom um, in when I was like in week 25 or so. And we moved back into our bedroom when I was 39 plus three weeks. Okay. Um, And I had her the very next day. So (laughs) <laughs> All right. So let's fast forward here. <laughs> um, yeah. So and and your birth team, you had midwives. Did you have anybody? Yes. Did you have a doula? I did have a doula. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, yeah. So the the birth center has four midwives. Um, and so I got to see them all, you know, all throughout my pregnancy. Um, and then I had a doula who I got to meet with. I think we met with her maybe two or three times before we had our baby. And then we also had a birth photographer. Cool. So let's take, before you jump right into it, let's take a quick break so that then we can focus on the story properly. We'll be right back. Diaper rash. It can be a truly uncomfortable experience for a baby. And so I find that one of the biggest conundrums when diapering is figuring out what diaper cream to use. So many options are thick and goopy, making them hard to apply and hard to wipe off. But I can personally say that this is not the case for Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is a pediatrician-approved skin protectant that is free from dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, designed as a breathable formula to help maintain an optimal skin barrier while allowing the healing to occur. This butt balm was developed by a mom who is also a doctor, hence the name Dr. Mom Butt Balm, when she couldn't find any traditional products that worked for her baby's persistent diaper rash and she wasn't about to settle. So she created Dr. Mom Butt Balm to go on smooth and be easy to remove while also being gentle on your baby's delicate skin. 
With Dr. Mom Butt Balm, you can say goodbye to excessive wiping to clean your little one's already chafed skin. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is so soft and goes on so smooth that you'll only need a small amount instead of having to layer on a thick goop. Plus, it has a lovely minty scent. Learn more about Dr. Mom Butt Balm at drmombuttbalm.com. That's drmombuttbalm.com. Or look for it at amazon.com. Tell me if this sounds familiar. You've taken gorgeous photos of your baby or your kids, and then when you want to share them, it is a pain either trying to find the photos or figuring out the group text that they should go to, and then also remembering that, say, Aunt Helen only does email, so you need to send her image separately. Or, like in my case, where my husband is a photographer who takes magnificent photos that I rarely actually get to see because they live on his phone or end up scattered in text messages that I can't easily find. Enter the Family Album app, which was created to give parents a secure and easy way to share photos and videos with your loved ones. Basically, it's a personal space for your family's memories without third-party ads or unwanted eyes and with a bunch of fabulous features. It automatically sorts photos and videos by month, allowing you to swipe back in time and easily see how your child has grown. And you can also order eight photo prints every month to be delivered to your home. The Family Album app also has unlimited storage. Plus, it's totally free. Yup, no more worrying about running out of space or being bombarded by third-party ads. So, to all the parents out there still trying to use other messaging apps for your kids' photos, level up your family photo game for free and securely with the Family Album photo sharing app. Head over to the App Store today, search Family Album, all in one word, and download the app to start creating your shared photo legacy. And we're back talking with Michelle Onaka of about her birth story. So you had your midwives, you had your doula, birth photographer, everything's kind of ready. You're back in your bedroom from the renovations. And then how did labor start? Yeah, so, so we moved back into our bedroom on Saturday night. On Sunday morning at 5 a.m., I woke up uh, to pee, as you do when you're pregnant, and I couldn't fall back asleep, and I noticed that I was kind of crampy, and then I started realizing that the cramping sensation was going away, and then it was coming back, and so then I, of course, couldn't fall back asleep, and I spent the morning like Googling, what does it feel like at the beginning of labor, <laughs> trying to figure those things out, um, so I just was having um, having what I called cramps cramps off and on, um, for a long time. And so I started, um, I started charting that or started using an app to see how long they were and everything, uh, around six 30 in the morning. And at that point they were, I think like eight minutes to 16 minutes apart, you know, it wasn't particularly regular. Um, so I just kind of went about my day and, um, when my husband woke up at nine or so I told him and he was not excited because we had a lot left that we wanted to get done so we were really hoping that the baby would hold off for another week or two um <laughs> so we spent the entire day working on things so I was moving our closet in he was hanging up the shower curtains in the new bathroom like we were working all day um 
and we ended up. That's a good plan for ignoring early labor, though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I asked him even later, like, did you think about the fact that we were about to have a baby? And he's like, no, I didn't have time. I was, you know, trying to finish the bathroom. <laughs> Love it. Um, yeah, so I was just in kind of early labor for a long time. And um, at some point, we realized that if he would push on my back, uh, that helped a lot. Um, I pretty much, from pretty early on, I the only way that I found that worked, that felt good while I was having a contraction was to kind of like lean over something. So getting on all fours wasn't, wouldn't work. Sitting on the toilet wouldn't work. I just had to kind of stand up and lean over something. And so I would have him come and push on my back. Um, and we had some curtains that we really needed to return. <laughs> so we went to Bed Bath & Beyond at 4 p.m. after I had started contractions at 5 a.m. Field trip. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that was a lot of fun uh, for sure. And at that point, I it was still early labor, but it was enough that I didn't really want to be interacting with people when I was having a contraction. I just wanted to lean over something and I wanted my husband to push on my back. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Were um, you so you had to stop for these contractions? Yeah, I was definitely stopping. Yes. Okay. And and I always was confused by the like, can you talk through your contractions? I have no idea if I could talk through my contractions ever. But I do remember at one point, um, one of the employees wanting to use the ladder that I was leaning over while I was in the middle of a contraction, and I was not happy about that. <laughs> Can't you tell a minute? Like, wait a second. Right? <laughs> wait one minute. That's all. One minute. Yeah. Cool. Yep. So so we went on that little field trip and we went to the grocery store as well. Um, and so we got home from that. It was probably 5 p.m., I think. And I was really tired. And so I laid down. And when I laid down, I ended up sleeping, I think, off and on for about an hour. Um, and my contractions kind of spaced out. So I remember I had three contractions during that time. And I would wake up and I would keep trying different positions. Like I tried all fours and it just was not comfortable at all. And so uh, around six is when I got up. And I feel like that's when things were getting a lot more challenging. Um, although I still had dinner. We ate dinner at 6.30 or 7 and I ate two bowls of food. So. I don't know how far I really was. I love um, it. Yeah. <laughs> it feels like you're like, oh, I'm in labor, but I'm really trying to ignore this whole thing and just yeah. do my life. It's a, I don't want you now. It's 39 weeks. You're too early. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, it was like, um, I knew so many people and I heard so many stories of people that had, you know, often on labor, prodromal labor that I really wasn't fully convinced that I was really going to have the baby. Like I was still like, well, you know, who knows? Maybe this will stop. Um, <laughs> so That's finally a around the attitude, frankly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Finally, around 7 p.m., I texted the doula and told her to come over. So she got it over around 8, 8 or so. And I think contractions were getting pretty challenging at that point. I definitely like, really, really wanted someone to be pushing on my back and you know, after 6 or 7 p.m. probably. Um, so she got here at 8.15. And um, <laughs> I remember my husband asked me what he wanted me to do. Um, and I was like, go work on the bedroom. <laughs> so it's now, you know, 8.30. I've been in labor for, you know, 15 hours or so. And it's getting pretty challenging. But I'm like, that's all right. I have the doula. Go work on the bedroom. 
Um, so then I went and I got him at one point, the doula said, you know, you should try to rest in between contractions. And so I went and I got him because I wanted him to lay down with me so that I was like, maybe if he pushes on my back while we're laying down, I'll be able to manage it laying down. And so I went and I got him and we cuddled in bed and the doula went outside the room. Um, and I got to relax for maybe five minutes or something. And then a contraction hit and it hit hard. Um, and I remember laying there in my bed and being like, oh my God, I'm going to poop. I'm going to throw up. Something's going to happen. I have to get to the toilet. And then also being like, I cannot move right now. Mm. So that one was intense. And after that, we moved to the bathroom. Um, and I, um, as I said, I didn't actually like sitting on the toilet during contractions. But so I would sit on the toilet in between contractions. And I, I kept wanting to be able to pee all the time. I didn't want to have to, you know, move or anything. So I just sat on the contractions. I sat on the toilet and then I would stand up over the toilet and my husband was standing kind of beside me and he would, he would push on my back. Um, and we, I guess my contractions were really picking up at this point. So I think they were coming every one to four minutes maybe. Um, but I being in my confused state and being still in denial that I was actually in labor, I wasn't really noticing. So we hadn't even told the midwives at this point that, we, that I was in labor at all. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so finally, I think we said something and the doula said, what was that? And, and we said, you know, should we call the midwives? And she's like, yeah, I think this is a good time to do it. So it was around, I think, 930 or so that we called them and let them know that I was in labor. And she heard me um, go through a contraction or two. Um, but she asked, you know, do you want to come in? And I, because she didn't say like, hey, it sounds like you should come in. I was like, oh, I must be far away still. So I didn't decide to go in at that time. And I'm sure she probably knew that I was going to be calling back pretty soon. So then it ended up at 9.54. We called back and said, we're coming in. And we called the birth photographer and told her to meet us there. And then we um, got in the car. And it was, um, it's really, I live very close to the birth center. But the, you know, final preparations and everything, we ended up getting to the birth center at 10, 18 p.m. Um, And they knew which room I wanted to labor in. They had the water running already. You know, I got there and they started doing all the things that they needed to do, checking, you know, my heart rate, checking blood pressure, all of that, checking on the baby. Um, And around 1025, they were done checking everything. And so that's about when the water stopped running and I got straight into the tub. Um, and that was amazing. I got to just kind of like float there for, it was like, I think it spaced out a little bit. So I got to float there for five minutes or something. Um, and then the contractions started, um, started back up. And at one point, I think maybe the first one or two when I was in the tub, my husband tried to push on my back again. And then all of a sudden I felt like I was going to throw up. And so I kind of went to the edge of the tub and I gagged, but I never threw up. Um, and I ended up the position that I ended up in, that was kind of the position I stayed in the rest of the time. And I, so I was kind of in a frog position with one arm in the water, supporting me and one arm out of the water. Uh, it's a corner tub. So basically my head is kind of in the middle coming out towards where everyone's sitting. And so my butt is facing exactly in that corner. Basically the probably one of the harder positions I could have possibly been in for the midwives. <laughs> and so it goes, right? Because it's not so quite <laughs> yeah. about her, unfortunately. She, right, I mean, right. she knows. She gets, figures it out. Yeah. 
I think, yeah, absolutely. The beauty of working with midwives um, was that no one ever said, hey, you should do this or why don't you try this or anything. I mean, if I had needed them to say, hey, why don't you try this? That would have been fine. But literally they were just like, great. Yes, you can go in the water. And, you know, they were really supportive of everything that I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. Um, So then when I felt like I was going to throw up, um, I I actually felt my body instead start to push the baby down. So I, um, I didn't end up throwing up because I think my body, like after I gagged once or twice, my body was like, oh no, we're pushing the baby down. This works. So it kind of just stopped trying to throw up and instead just kind of really focused. I think I have a very strong fetal ejection reflex, or at least that's what I felt. Mm. Um, so yeah, so I just kind of in between contractions, I just kind of sat there and readied myself knowing that when it hit, you know, my body was going to keep forcing the baby down. Um, and one thing that I think is really interesting is, you know, when you're listening to hundreds of birth stories ahead of time, you still don't really know how you're going to be. So I was quiet. I was not making a lot of noises. I actually, it never even occurred to me to make any sort of noises. And that's my baby in the background. Sorry about I love that. how you're saying how you were quiet and you didn't need to yeah. make noises. And she starts doing noises. Like, it's perfect. Yeah. Well done, baby. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, yeah. So honestly, I think it was probably a, a few contractions. And I remember I did reach down and kind of feel. And I didn't know what I felt. But I knew that it wasn't what normally I would feel. So I feel I felt like the baby was getting pretty close or something. And at that point, um, my I, so I had never had like my water hadn't broken. I had never seen my mucus plug, nothing like that. Um, so did I assume you bleed, did, did you have like a little bit of bloody show at all? No, I didn't have anything. Okay. Nothing. <laughs> so so which I, is, I mean, so important to say, because we expect that to be there. And it right. doesn't like, again, variations are normal. You don't have to. Right. Right. Yeah. And when you're. When you're hoping that birth doesn't happen for a while and you've heard so many times that people say, you know, that they were in labor for four days, when you don't have some of those things, you're like, well, maybe it's not really labor. Right. <laughs> and then when it is, you're like, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, at some point, I assume my water must have broken. Um, and I remember at one point, um, the midwife did reach down and felt. And I think that she said that the baby was almost in a full crown at that point. Oh, I should also mention they never checked me. So not in any of my appointments or when I got to birth center or any, at any time was I checked. So I had no idea, you know, was I dilated? I I didn't know any of that information. Uh, And and again, variations, because we hang on to to these things like, oh, you need to be checked. Well, actually, you don't. It's physiological. (laughs) Your body's going to do it anyway. But if you want that information, it's there. It's just one part of of the picture, right? Right. Well, and from hearing all the birth stories that I heard, I didn't plan to know the number had they checked me. Mm. I didn't want to know because I, I was afraid that it would be, you know, all about, you know, I think birth is all about your head, right? So if you think oh my gosh, this is terrible. This is so hard. I can't do this. And you're only four centimeters. That's going to mess with your mind. Right. Um, so it was kind of nice that they, they didn't know either. Um, but yeah, so when she finally reached down and she said that baby was almost at a full crown. Um, and I remember her saying, um, the baby's going to be out in one or two contractions. Um, and I think I did start pushing towards the very end, maybe the last two contractions or something, which if I 
could go back, I would probably not push. Um, but I was like, Oh, cool. <laughs> Let's get this baby out. Um, and so I did, I did join my body in pushing the baby out. Um, and, um, the midwife did tell me like, Hey, you know, this is a great position that you're in. Just know that this is what we're going to do. And so she kind of told me, she prepared me for when the baby comes out, you know, I'll reach in and I'll do this and then I'll, I'll pass the baby between your legs. Um, and so that's what she did. So, um, the baby's head came out and I think it was another, maybe 10 seconds later or something. I felt, um, I actually felt the baby twist, um, and then come out the rest of the way. Mm. And so I leaned back and she handed me the baby and she was, um, screaming and she was pink and she didn't have any vernix or anything like that on her. Like she almost just looked like a baby coming out of a bathtub, honestly, like literally it was bath time. That's all. But she was still connected, of course. (laughs) Um, (laughs) so that was really cool. Um, and I, I remember when I, when she handed me the baby, sometimes you'll hear people say, you know, when I saw the baby, I was like, oh, of course, this is my baby and felt a lot of love and all of this. Um, and I was just kind of like, whoa, that's a baby. And like, I don't have to push anymore. That's great. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> and it can take a while, right? There's no normal. Some people fall right. in love immediately. Some people, it, yeah, you need even months to go like, oh, more than, you know, this is my baby. I am this baby's mom kind of thing. Right, right. Right. And I remember just kind of looking at the baby and looking at my husband and being like, no, there really was a baby inside me. Like, we have a real baby. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I, I think, you know, being pregnant for the very first time, it's just so surreal. The whole thing was just so surreal. So I was like, yeah, my belly is getting big, but I'm still not convinced that there's going to be a baby at the end. So yeah, when I finally was holding this little baby that was screaming, I was like, wow, there's a baby. Um, and yeah, she was really healthy. So I found out later that her APGAR scores were 9 and 10, which is pretty cool for uh, a water birth, I think. Um, also, so she was born at 10.56 p.m. So I got to the birth center at 10.18. Mm. She, you know, it was it was not a very long thing after we got to the birth center. But I think in thinking about my story, obviously, maybe we could have gone to the birth center a little bit earlier. Not too much earlier, but maybe a little bit wouldn't have been a bad idea. Next time. Keep that in mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If there's next time. Um, yeah. And I mean, it worked out. It seems wonderfully. Yeah, it did. It did. It was, it was very lucky. And, um, you know, we had a birth photographer who didn't get very many pictures before the baby came, but that ended up being perfectly fine, too, because... What I found that I really appreciated were the the pictures of the first hour of her life, not really, you know, the laboring. Laboring is fine, but um, being able to go back, I think what was really cool to me is to later go back and be like, oh, I recognize my baby in these pictures. When it happened, I didn't recognize them because I didn't know her at that point, mm. but I recognize her now. And I like that was that was a really cool thing for me. Um, also I, we didn't know if it was going to be a boy or a girl and I really wanted a girl. And so it was really exciting that she was a girl. So how, how did you guys find out? Did you announce it? Did your husband, the midwife who, um, (laughs) so we actually, you know, they just gave her straight to me. And so she was just kind of in my arms and neither of us, no one, as far as I know, no one looked, um, or anything. And then maybe 
five minutes later, we finally, I think at the same time, maybe I kind of moved her or something. And my husband and I looked at the same time and we knew that we were going to name a daughter Kaya and we did not have a name for a boy. And so he goes, we got a Kaya. <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yay. Um, yeah. When, when she was crowning and her head came out, how did that feel? <sighs> It's really interesting trying to remember kind of what were my thoughts during the whole thing. Um, I, so I know in the contractions right before she came out and like, as like, I remember feeling the stretch and being like, the ring of fire lasts for more than one contraction. I remember thinking that, that I felt that, that stretching sensation and that it was lasting for a little while. Um, I don't know that I really know what I, what it felt like when her head came out, but I remember feeling like, whoa, that was cool when I felt her body twist and then mm -hmm. come the rest of the way out. Like mm -hmm. that was cool that I could actually feel that part of it. Yeah. Her rotating to get those shoulders out. So uh -huh. awesome. Yeah. 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 Um, and then how was the birth of the placenta? Um, it was good. So we, so we were in the pool still um, and hanging out. And I think they were a little worried that she was, getting cold probably because I think I had her kind of more out of the water than I should have and I remember thinking that I was afraid that she was going to drown or something like uh, it was weird you know I just had a baby so I think I had her out of the water quite a bit more than I needed to at this point and so they were a little worried that she was going to get cold um and so we started talking about getting out but um um so we were waiting let's see so we we're waiting for the um umbilical cord to stop pulsing. So about 15 minutes after, uh, after we had her, it did. And so they went ahead and caught the cord and they started draining the tub so I could get out. Um, so we could put some warm blankets and stuff on her. And right before I got out, she was, um, the midwife was like, Oh, let me just check to see if, um, if the placenta is ready to come out. And she said it was. And so she's like, okay, it's, you're, you're going to feel cramping. It's going to hurt, but remember it doesn't have any bones in it. And I don't know if she pulled on it or what, um, but then I felt like a cramping sensation and then I felt like a big ball of jello fall out. It's kind of how it felt to me. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it's a good distinction to make. Like, you know, the, the, the placenta is attached to the uterus, which is inside, like high up in your vagina, right? So mm -hmm. when it detaches, the placenta kind of comes out from the uterus and can sit in the vagina without right. coming out and that's kind of right. like when they know they can exactly they can, see, they can feel the difference in terms mm -hmm. of it's still inside you but it's not in, still in, in the uterus it's like right. right there ready to come out yeah right right yeah and then so so once that came out um they asked if i wanted you know if i felt comfortable holding the baby and getting out and I decided to instead give her off to my husband. Um, and so he took off his shirt and he took her. And I'm so happy I did that because the birth photographer got two great photos of them together. And I love those pictures. Which are in the show notes too. I, I love yes. that you sent me the pictures and I looked there. I was like, yay, daddy doing skin yes. to skin too. Yes. And that was like, you know, that was the first picture I have of him as a father, which is really cool. Mm. When I first saw that picture, I started crying. Um, but yeah, so I, I walked over to the bed and they put her on me and we kind of just laid in bed for a long time. And I really, I felt really good. Like I didn't, um, 
I didn't feel like I was having a hard time moving or anything. I remember being like, oh, I have to pee. I should just get up to pee. But I remember the midwives had told me, um, when you're ready, you know, we want to walk with you. <laughs> so I didn't just get up whenever I wanted to, but I felt really good. Um, and uh, yeah, they helped. They helped her to latch on and everything. And um, eventually they did weigh her and measure her. So she was six pounds no, I'm forgetting six pounds, 10 ounces, six pounds, nine ounces. Oh man. Mm -hmm. It was 10. <laughs> um, and she was 19 and a quarter inches. So she was quite a bit smaller than I expected her to be. Although there's really no rational reason why I thought she would be bigger than that. For some reason, I just thought she would be bigger. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so she latched on right away. It was that it was, uh, was there, so how, okay wait I sense there's a story there before we go there because the next question is really quick did you tear at all I didn't there was um one what did she call she called it like road rash or something there was one little little thing that they didn't need to stitch or anything but that's it perfect yes yeah okay see that was a good um, question so then yes. latch. <laughs> um so being a first-time mom um and not having done a breastfeeding class, I had absolutely no idea what to do. I think they did get her to latch, but it was pretty much me sitting there, keeping my arms back and, you know, a bunch of people's hands trying to do what was needed to get her to latch. So it took a while. I have no idea how they didn't did it. You know, I didn't really get to see it and know, like, what do I need to do to get her to latch? Um so, and, and I think that I do have kind of relatively flat nipples and she had a pretty small mouth. Um, so I think that those were two things that were um, challenging for that. Um, and, but yeah, so they got her to latch, but then I could not get her to latch by myself afterwards. Mm -hmm. So, um, so we ended up, you know, they made us some breakfast tacos and we finally went to bed around 2 a.m. And I remember in the nighttime, I would hear her making noises and I would be like, hey, maybe she wants to eat. And so I probably tried to get her to nurse like three times, but I only tried by myself. I never went and got the midwives. I never did anything else. I just kind of tried and then she would pretty much just go back to sleep. And so then I'd be like, OK, maybe she wasn't hungry. <laughs> so so that was really interesting. And then in the morning, they asked if she had nursed and I said no. And so they helped me to nurse one more time in the morning um, before they discharged us. Um, but still, you know, at that point, it was very much like all hands on board to try to figure out how to get her to latch. At least that's how I felt about it. Mm -hmm. So then so, you went so, home. Yeah. 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 We, we went home at 10, 15 in the morning. So we, we were at the birth center for, for 12 hours total. Um, yeah. So we came home in the morning and um, I think I didn't. Um, so I, di I didn't really talk about this earlier, but I didn't do a whole lot of, I didn't have time to do a whole lot of preparation um, classes and things. So I did a birth class, a local birth class, um, and that's all I did. And so, as I said, I didn't do breastfeeding. I didn't do any sort of like understanding what newborns are like. My preparation was pretty much um, listening to a bunch of podcasts while I was working on a house. And so when we brought her home, I think we we didn't have a lot of the knowledge that we needed. Um, and I think I'm pretty sure in the 24 hours after we brought her home, we tried to latch her several times, but we really only got her to successfully latch twice. Mm -hmm. um, so so that was a really, really big struggle for us. And I, you know, I was really worried. And so the midwife came over 
um, to check on us and helped us get our latch. And really, we talked about we needed to, um, at that point, we needed to get her naked pretty much to get her to latch because she would just be so sleepy mm-hmm. that she would not do it. Um, yeah, so so that first week, I would say, it was a really, really big focus on trying to get her to eat enough. Um, and I was really happy when the midwife came back a day or two later and she had actually gained a tiny, tiny bit of weight. So, so when the midwife had come maybe two days after she was born, um, she weighed six pounds, one ounce. Yeah. So she was six ten at birth and then she was six pounds, one ounce. And then when they weighed her the next day, she was six pounds, two ounces. And so that was, um, that was good. That was really encouraging, I think. And then I also ended up going to um, a meeting with a lactation consultant. So I had her on Sunday. And then on Friday, we went to meet with a lactation consultant because at that point, everything was just so, I don't know, it was so emotional. It was so difficult. You know, my husband had to help me. He was like holding, you know, everything. It was just really challenging at the beginning. Um, and so it was really good because we went and met with a lactation consultant and they did a weighed feeding and they actually found that she was getting plenty of milk um, very quickly. And so after that, I feel like things got a lot better because there wasn't the stress of like trying to get her naked to get her to feed because we realized that at that point she was getting enough milk and my milk had come in, which was obviously another worry about not having her latch that much at the beginning is, you know, what if my milk didn't come in? Um, but yeah, so so by the end of that, maybe by the time she was a week old, um, some of the feeding issues really were better, I think. Um, and at the lactation consultant appointment, they showed me a different hold. And so we had a couple of different ways to hold her to get her to nurse. Um, and so that that improved a lot. And then, of course, the next struggle became sleep. Mm. I didn't we didn't know what we were supposed to be doing for sleep. We weren't prepared for any of that. We didn't know. I don't know. We just didn't know. We just didn't know anything about whether we were supposed to try to get her to sleep and how and how often and how do you know when she's ready to sleep and how do you get her to sleep and all of that. So, so what did that you was do? The next struggle. Um, well, <laughs> eventually, actually, so around, let's see, I don't really know what we did. I think we just kind of struggled <laughs> for a long time. And then finally around when she was maybe three weeks or so, um, actually one of your, your classes thrive with your newborn, there was a sale on it. And I was like, you know what? I had kind of meant to do this before and I didn't have the time and I didn't. And so I ended up signing up for that class in the middle of the night when I was nursing. And, um, the very first, the first couple sections of that class were really helpful, um, because it talked about, you know, wake windows and different ways to get the baby to sleep. Um, and actually one of the videos that, that you linked to, it was the one where there's, um, the hypnotist he ah. has like a video of five ways to get your baby to sleep or something like that. Like little tricks to help encourage yeah. sleep. Yeah. I like yes. that one with the hypnotist. Yeah. Right. So the one where, um, what we found that really worked and actually I'm doing it right now, um, is kind of the, like kind of putting your hand on the, the crown of their head and just kind of like, um, going down towards their eyes slowly, um, to get her to eventually close her eyes. And that, that, yeah, that that trick is something that we still use probably every day, several times a day. And I will link it on the show notes. I love the one where it's like 
you know, tilt the head up so the eyes have to look yeah. rolling up and that gets the, the muscles get tired and then they have to close their eyes. And so, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So those types of things, that was really, really helpful to know that there's such a thing as a wake window, to start paying attention to the wake window, to um, try to learn how to put her to sleep. All of that was really helpful. And mm-hmm. so... And, and I love, I, frankly, I'm really happy that it did help you, even though like it's set up to be done <laughs> while pregnant, right? Yeah. And prepare ahead yeah. of time and do all these things. But the fact that you were like four weeks into it, into postpartum, <laughs> yeah. and it still was super helpful and you got to watch it and rewatch it. Like, yay. Yes. I'm so excited for you that that, that, yeah. that was helpful. Well, and, and so there's, you know, there's multiple parts of that class, right? And so I'd be like, okay, there's this video and then you watch this and you do this. And I would kind of never remember where I stopped. And so I would just start again a lot of the times. And so it was helpful because I just kind of kept watching things over and over again until I felt like, okay, this makes sense. Like I, I know something that I can do. And, and I think the, one of the PDFs that you do, the sleep, the sleeping PDF, um, that talks about kind of every month. These are the things you should think about while I haven't been great at. Oh, the one that that walks you like from newborn to two years old and and how sleep changes and what to expect. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So I haven't necessarily been great at following everything, but it's been really helpful to me to have, I have it kind of saved on my phone so I can just kind of click to it and be like, okay, so now that she's four months, you know, what does the wake window look like? And you know, what's going on with this? Um, but yeah, I definitely need to do better with the routines, the the sleeping routines and the waking routines. That's not something that we've done a very good job with. Um, I think partly just around around five weeks, um, I started doing more uh, more bed sharing, and that was amazing. It, I don't know. I feel like I went from trying to get five hours of sleep every night to getting eight hours easily. Um, and so then, of course, when things aren't as big of a struggle, you don't pay attention to them as much. So that's why I haven't done as good with the routines. And frankly, I, I mean, if things that like the whole point of it is you, and I and I do say these in the classes. You've heard me say this before is it has to work for you. So things that if things are working, then it's working. It's when things right. aren't working that you need to like change that. Right. Yeah. Right. And I think I think I think one thing that's so bed sharing is really helpful for nighttime. Um, so overnight's really not an issue. It's more of the nap time that that we struggle with. And I am going to, um, in the show notes, also link to another episode that I have on safer bed sharing. So that mm-hmm. because bed sharing can be amazing. It's just a yeah. matter of like wh- wherever baby sleeps, sleep safely. Um, yeah. But there are like Dr. James McKenna has a, a whole in Indiana. He has a sleep lab. Um, it's an infant maternal sleep lab and he just looks at the patterns and what how infants and moms sleep together and the conclusion is if you're exclusively breastfeeding mm-hmm. moms that breast that coach he calls a breast sleeping that so because it's exclusively yeah. breastfeeding bed sharing um they get even though they get more wake-ups like they're awoken more mm-hmm they get more sleep because it's not a full come out of slumber. And the, the, so yeah. the time that you're awake is so much shorter. You know, the boom's yeah. right there. Boom. Yeah. Um, yeah. As you've, yeah. you've experienced. Yeah. I mean, at the beginning, I remember. So at the beginning, she didn't, she wasn't able to nurse very well, either laid back or side, side lying. 
And so it was very much like getting up and sitting in a in a chair. And she also spits up a lot. So it was trying to keep her elevated after she nursed. And so I remember, I remember nights where it was a good night if I had only been awake for an hour and 15 minutes every time she had to feed. Mm. Like that was a really good thing <laughs> because of all the things and then trying to get her to lay back down and then she'd you know wake up again and all of that. But yeah, once we started bed sharing more um, and, and we do actually, so so we always had the crib side card. Um, mm-hmm. So it's always been kind of next to my bed. Um, and so now I feel like one of the safer ways that we can bed share is actually more of me sharing her bed rather than her sharing my bed. So at this point, probably 80 or 90% of the night, she's in her own crib, um, which has that kind of firm, flat surface and all of that. Um, it's just that I'm kind of curled around her a decent por- portion of that time. Like you're closer um, to her. So she, you're not yeah. on the same surface. You're just next to each other. Well, I am on the same surface with her. I am like wrapped around her in her bed. Oh, okay. You're kind of scooted yeah. in the crib. <laughs> right, right. So at gotcha. the beginning, I, I was staying on my bed. <clears throat> And at some point, I actually, especially when I wanted to nurse on the other side, I would actually literally climb completely into the crib. Um, (laughs) But now I'm just kind of laying more awkwardly the same way I normally was in order to nurse in the crib. But yeah, so I I kind of I keep my hips on my bed and then I put my pillow and everything in her bed. um, And I just try to follow the same, you know, the safe sleep stuff from James McKenna Mm -hmm. to to make sure that, you know, the blankets aren't near her and all of that. But I don't know. I feel like some people are really, they think you're going to roll over on your baby. And I'm like, well, how often do you roll over and fall out of bed at night? Like you're aware of where the edge of the bed is. You're aware of where your baby is too. So. Yeah. And that's why like the safer sleep seven, like one of the things is to be not impaired, to be, um, you know, exclusively breastfeeding because then you're more in sync and connected to the baby and and have more awareness you don't sleep as soundly when you're doing that and you know the flat surface and making sure baby's not overheated and um what else am i missing there's like there's seven things i'll link in the in the show notes Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. So, and things always evolve. So, how's that, like the breastfeeding? How did it? How is it now? Now it's amazing. I love breastfeeding. Actually, um, it was so painful at the beginning, and it was so stressful. Um, but it is amazing now. I we we sideline nurse a lot, or lay down and nurse a lot, um, and. I still don't know that she has a great latch, um, but at this point it's not painful and she certainly seems to be getting enough milk. I love breastfeeding. I actually, maybe a week or two ago, my supply went down a little bit for a few days and I, it really worried me, uh, made me realize like how much I don't want to, to lose this. So, mm-hmm. so my supply came back up and everything's good, but yeah, so I really, really love breastfeeding now. Cool. Yay. Things always yeah. change, Michelle. <laughs> it's like, an yes. Ever- and in terms of that ever changing, how did this experience, how did birth change you? How did birth change me? I don't know. Um, I I know that some of the things that I was really looking for, that I was really hoping to get out of my birth was um, I wanted um, I, I wanted to kind of continue that like almost like confidence that like you can do it. Um, and I also wanted my husband to have a 
a sense of he was needed, um, not feel like he didn't know what to do or he wasn't able to help. Um, and both of those definitely happened. Uh, I felt like birth was totally doable. Um, and I think, I think it was because I had such a good birth team. It was because I was able to move the way I needed to because I had so much support um, that I was able to do that. And also, you know, my husband having that job of having to push on my back, like he didn't feel useless. He really felt like he could, he could be a part of it. And I think that that was really cool. And it kind of set us up going into, you know, parenthood. Well, especially considering we struggled so much at the beginning with, you know, breastfeeding and sleeping and not really having the knowledge that I wanted to have. Um, So I think that I'm really glad that I had had a really good and kind of empowering birth because I think had I gone into it, you know, feeling like maybe my body was broken or having any of those kind of thoughts that sometimes people have um, or even just not having spent a lot of time learning about birth and not understanding the process that that would have set me up to not feel as confident as a parent, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so. so in parenting itself in this postpartum period, what would you say are like a few of the things that have been super helpful for you? Um, I know one of the things that was helpful for me, honestly, was just realizing that you're not always going to know. Um, so at the, I remember there were times when she would just start screaming and we would have no idea and we would be working so hard, to, not only to stop her from screaming, but to understand why. And eventually I just kind of realized that, you know what, you're not always going to know why. And sometimes it just has to be enough to, to make her feel better, you know, get it to the point where she's not screaming anymore. And sometimes you're never going to know what, what happened and why. So that's definitely one. Um, and um, in our local community, there's a really cool class that's offered at the, um, at the community college that is live and learn with your baby. And so I started doing that class when um, she was maybe eight, 10 weeks, something like that. And so that's really cool to be in a space with other parents and their babies. And we're learning about all different topics and having a lot of conversations and stuff. So kind of just having that community of, of parents and especially mothers is really helpful. Um, I'm currently reading the book, The Happy Sleeper, and I'm really hoping that that will help us, especially figure out naps a little bit better. Um, but kind of having that knowledge as I'm, you know, eventually I assume she probably won't sleep next to me. So trying to figure out how that will all work. Um, right. You won't yeah. both fit in that crib anymore. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Right. Oh, fantastic. As we wrap up, is there anything else that you want to make sure people know? Um, so I did send you some resources that you can share in the show notes. Yes. Um, so for some, you know, really great podcasts that were helpful and some books and things like that. Um, I would definitely say for someone who is going to have their first baby, especially if you plan to breastfeed, I highly, highly recommend doing a breastfeeding class and doing some sort of understanding what's going to be happening with the newborn. Um, so, so your class that I did was great. Also, if you're not, if you haven't been exposed to a lot of the postpartum stuff, um, to really learn about that, learn about, you know, what should be your expectations in postpartum. Um, I did not have a lot of expectations. I didn't, no one expected me to get up and help cook or do laundry or anything like that at the very beginning. Um, and that's something that I think is really important. Oh, yeah. Also, I'm doing cloth diapering 
And I highly recommend a cloth diaper service at the beginning. It was so super helpful to not have to worry about that. That Because that's a whole different thing to figure out. Yeah. And because I'm such a researcher, but I knew that I was going to be doing the cloth or we were going to do the service, I was able to just not do research about cloth diapering. So I saved so much time before I had her just knowing that I didn't have to worry about it and knowing that I was going to have someone else providing the diapers for me and they were going to wash them for me. And I didn't have to deal with any of that until I was ready. And that was really helpful. And I love cloth diapering. So I'm are really you still glad doing the service do or did you, are you doing your own? Nope. Yeah. Um, around, I think around 10 weeks or so, we stopped the service and mm-hmm. started taking over on our, for ourselves. And yeah, it's great. I love it. Yeah. Awesome. I love it. Love it so much. Well, thank you so much for, for sharing all of this. And I'm really happy that you had this beautiful birth that you shared with us. Cause it, it you know, I just, the whole time I'm, I'm, as you're talking, I'm, you know, drawing pictures in my head and it's just, I keep laughing at like, I wasn't like your denial. I'm not sure yes. if this is it. I'm not, you know, heads crowning. I don't know if I'm happy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, that, that's, that's pretty much the way it went. I, I remember I have a friend who texted me while I was in labor that day. And she's like, you know, how are you doing? And I was like, I'm feeling crampy. And she's like, that's called contractions. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. It feels like cramps. Tomato, (laughs) tomato. (laughs) I love it. Thank you so, so much, Michelle. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I I listened to your podcast um, starting pretty early, maybe even before I was pregnant. And that was a really really helpful for me, especially as I said, we were so busy. I didn't have time to do a whole lot of other things. So thanks for offering your your podcast. Mighty ones, I love to hear from you. Go to birthful.com where you can learn more about me, the show, send me messages and more. This episode was produced by me and made possible by you. The title song for this podcast is Vive Ace by Kevin McLeod and the sponsorship song is Air Hockey Saloon by Chris Sabrisky. Find them both at freemusicarchive.org. I'm Adriana Lozada. Please join me next Wednesday to inform your intuition here at the Birthful Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, Mighty One. Did you know that if you started listening to one Birthful episode per day at the start of your pregnancy, your baby would be about three months old before you got through all of them? That is so much birthful. So to ease us into the summer and to help you catch up on your listening, we're going back to releasing one episode per week instead of two. Now you know.